but, uh, but I'm, I'm thanking God for just the opportunity to be a part of, of the conference. And, you know, Brother Miller is such a dear friend, and uh, God used him in a great way in my life. And you all will get a chance to hear him tonight in your evening service, right? And so uh, make sure you're here all day long. You know, let's finish strong. Uh, I agree with Pastor that uh, this, this Sunday just seems like the extension uh, of TNS. And so let's let the Lord, let's not shut off uh, the volume. Let God keep continue to speak to us uh, over the next uh, few hours, even, even today. Thank you for your service to the Lord. Uh, thanks for being so... Uh, willing to, to use your gifts and talents to serve him. The choir was, uh, I, I'm in conferences all the time. I'm in a meeting every week of my life. So I hear all kinds of special music. I hear all kinds of choirs. There was something special about your choir this week. I'm just telling you, there was very something special about the choir and orchestra. It was a spirit-filled uh, demonstration of God's power. And I appreciate that. I appreciate your, your willingness to be used to the Lord that way. And then all the other things that you did. You know, in many respects, it was more difficult for Southland uh, to be co-hosting this conference. And the reason for that is because it's not at your church facility. You know, you're traveling a little bit farther. Uh, the nights are a little bit longer. Some of you had a long ride home every single night only to get up in the morning and do it again. And just understand that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And there are, there are young people uh, that will be scattered now all across Australia uh, that, whose lives have been touched. And as a team, you know, that's something God used us to help to accomplish. So that's a, that's a great thing. I want to talk to you, church family, just about a very important passage for every local church. And it's the kind of passage that... I would feel uncomfortable preaching to my own church. Now, I did uh, preach this to our own church uh, some time ago just because it was part of, I preached through books of the Bible. And one of the great things about preaching through a book of the Bible is when you get to the passage you don't want to preach, you got to preach it. There it is. And so uh, I did preach this passage to our church some time ago, uh, but I did it reluctantly. But I, as I preached that message, I realized this is a message, if the Lord gives me opportunity in a venue like this, because it's really not a, a preaching message, it's more of a, let's understand this, uh, it's more of a teaching time. So when pastor said, hey, uh, would you be willing to also do Sunday school, I knew, uh, I knew immediately that this would be the lesson I would bring. So I know that this is something that God has for us this hour. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in your Bible, let's read a few verses together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and, and we're just going to look at verses 11 through 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll just be looking at verses 11 through 15. Would you look at verse 11 with me? The Bible says, wherefore... Comfort yourselves together and edify one another. The word comfort in your Old English Bible is not the word that you would consider comfort today, the way it's used today. The word comfort, the way we would use that word today is to encourage, to encourage each other. So comfort one another. Then the Bible says, and edify one another. And I think you know what that word means. It means to build up. 
You know, so our job as local church members, as a family of God, is to encourage each other and to build each other up. I think, I think you all do a great job here at Southland uh, obeying that command. Matter of fact, I believe the church at Thessalonica did a great job with that. And so did Paul, because watch what he says. He says, comfort yourselves together, edify one another. Then watch what he says, even as also ye do. In other words, hey, I'm not, I'm not giving you a command because I, I feel as if you're not doing this. I'm telling you this, and, and I know that you're already practicing this. And so sometimes we need to be reminded about things that we're already doing so that those activities and those behaviors will be undergirded in our lives. So I I want you to know uh, that my heart is the heart of the Apostle Paul this morning, okay? And that is, I don't believe that when I bring this message, I'm not bringing this message because I'm detecting something, you know, because I, I feel as if there's something broken. No, I'm bringing this message this morning to a church that I believe does a great job with the principles about which we'll speak. Okay, so please understand that at the outset of the study, that this is not punitive in my mind. This is something that I believe your church is already practicing, but maybe needs to understand a bit better, like all of us. Okay, so look at it. Verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Lord, would you bless the Sunday school time together? Thank you, Lord, for a group of of people, although tired, who have come to this early session to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that you would reward them for their diligence. Lord, I pray that you would Give us uh, just a sense of energy this hour. Help us, Father, to zone in to your word. And then, Lord, I pray that you would use your word to help us to, to think biblically, to act scripturally. Thank you, Lord, for giving us instructions like these. Bless this time together, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you know the story of, of Paul and Thessalonica. The Apostle Paul was on a second missionary journey. He was doing the best he could to get the gospel to move westward. The Apostle Paul had a stated philosophy. And his stated philosophy, Romans chapter 15, his stated philosophy is, uh, I want to preach the gospel to places that I've never heard it before. That was his stated philosophy. I don't want to build upon another man's foundation. Now listen, that's not my ministry philosophy. Uh, I'm pastoring a church today, building upon another man's foundation. There's nothing wrong with that. God oftentimes calls people, uh, Brother Hernan, God's called you to a church where you're building, in essence, upon other men's foundation. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Apostle Paul had a philosophy, a church-planting missionary philosophy, that I want to get the gospel to places that have never one time heard the gospel message. And so on the second missionary journey, along with Silas, along with Timothy, along with Luke, 
uh, Paul made his way westward. And remember, he received that Macedonian call at uh, Troas. And from Troas, he went to Philippi. And there he met Lydia uh, by the riverside. And there that church uh, was founded. And and there uh, he was put in jail. Remember the Philippian jailer. And from Philippi, he traveled down the Via Ignatia, which was the Roman road. The Ignatian Way. He passed through the cities of Amphipolis and Apollonia. And he came to the large city, the capital city, the main city of Thessalonica. And there in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul immediately uh, adopted his, his, uh, his modus operandi, which was to go into the Jewish synagogue. Remember, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Everywhere he went, he went to the, offered the gospel to the Jew first. And, and there in the synagogue, the Bible says, he took the Old Testament scriptures. That's the only scriptures there were. And he began to reason with them out of the scriptures. And here's what the Apostle Paul did. He, he, he would show them what the Old Testament said about the Christ. What the Old Testament said about Messiah. And then he would demonstrate that the man, Jesus Christ, fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies about who the Christ would be. Therefore, Christ is Jesus. Jesus is Christ. And he would persuade them. And the Bible says that people began to believe. Now, now some were unbelieving. And they really got upset because they viewed Christianity as stealing people from Judaism, which it wasn't at all. It was the completion of Judaism. Uh, but, uh, but some believed. And the Bible says not only were Jews believing, but even some of the, the chief women of the city were believing, and a church was founded. Hey, great things are happening. And I think most churches can point back to heydays to say, wow, remember that season when all those people were getting saved? And remember that season when we just seemed to grow exponentially? Wow. And that's what happened. But remember what else happened in Acts chapter 17? The Bible teaches that the unbelieving Jews were moved with envy. They hated it. And they stirred up a little riot, a little insurrection. And they basically kicked Paul out of town. Now imagine, here's Paul. He's won people to Christ. Uh, Here's Timothy. Here's Silas. They're discipling people, not just once a week. Not just on Wednesday nights for an hour. They're discipling people all day, every day. That's their ministry. I mean, I mean, this is like discipleship on steroids, okay? All day, every day, they're just disi- pouring their lives into people all day, every day. But after one month of ministry, they were only there three Sabbath days. After one month of ministry, that was my phone that just beeped, by the way. Hang on one second. Just see who's calling me. Okay. That was Pastor Lloyd. Preacher, thank you for coming and blessing our country. All right, I'll get back to him later. All right? So, that's an embarrassing thing when your phone, I just answer it. I mean, everyone heard it anyway. But, uh, so now the Apostle Paul, he gets kicked out of town. He goes down to Berea. But wait a minute, what about those believers? What, what about them? With no email, uh, no, 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 no Facebook, no, no instant message, no, no cell phones. Hey, no Snapchat. So Paul, he doesn't know what's going on. He's worried about it. He's praying for those people. Well, listen, in Berea, the the Thessalonians, the the unbelievers, they send a group down to Berea, kick them out of Berea. And Paul, he's been kicked out of Thessalonica, he's been kicked out of Philippi, been kicked out of Thessalonica, been kicked out of Berea. Now we go down to Athens, 
And in Athens, uh, Timothy and Silas join him. And Paul says, listen, Timothy, you've got to go back. You've got to go back to Thessalonica. I've got to know how those people are doing. I've got to know. In the meantime, the Apostle Paul moves from Athens about one hour drive over to Corinth. And now he's in Corinth and Timothy finally comes back. How are they doing? What's going on with that new church? Timothy said, Paul, you'd be so proud of them. They have a a working faith. They have a laboring love. They have a patient hope. I mean, they they are going on for God. Hey, not only that, in the meantime, the Apostle Paul is beginning to talk to people that are traveling and saying, wow, things are happening in Thessalonica and the gospel is being preached and the Apostle Paul is hearing from, hey, from you sounded out the word of God in all Macedonia and in all places. Wow, what a church. But there are some issues. What are the issues in such a, a great, thriving church like that? What could possibly be the issues? Okay, number one, they had some doctrinal issues. And the Apostle Paul hadn't been there long enough to teach them all the doctrines, and they had some legitimate questions about the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had to deal with that every single chapter. He dealt with that. And the greatest passage in all the Bible about the rapture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, right on through chapter 5. But here's another problem. Another problem they had was, hey, they were under Paul's leadership. And when Paul came in and led them to Christ, and when Paul came in with all of his apostolic authority, nobody questioned. Nobody questioned his leadership. I mean, he was the quintessence of leadership. He was a servant. He didn't take a salary. He loved them. He was a missionary. Nobody questioned. But wait a minute. After Paul left, after Timothy left, after Silas left, who's leading the church? Who's pastoring the church? Well, here's who's pastoring the church. Somebody that has been recently saved. So you can imagine now, people might say, well, why is he the pastor? Well, why is he the leader? Why are they? So the Apostle Paul had to lovingly write back and say, listen, we need to learn how to respect our leaders. And we need to learn how to get along. Because this is God's divine order. So I want to talk to your church a little bit about how the Apostle Paul dealt with a great church, a loving church, a soul-winning church, a discipleship church. Uh, How did he deal with them about this issue of leadership? Okay? You've got your Bible open. Look at verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, watch this, first of all, to know them which labor among you. That's the leadership. To know them. Okay, so when it comes to helping our leaders in our local church, okay, so how can Faith Baptist Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia, how can they help Pastor Skelly and Pastor Perry? He's our care pastor. And Pastor Venable, he's our associate pastor. And Pastor Pitts, he's our administrative pastor. And Pastor Omar, he's our Spanish pastor. And Pastor Kim, He's our Korean pastor. Uh, and, uh, and how can they help us? Okay, well, the Bible's teaching us. Number one, we need to know them which labor among us. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that church members, your job is to, like in a trivial pursuit kind of way, know everything about Pastor Hernan? 
Yeah, I know his favorite color. I know his birthday. I know his favorite food. I know his favorite coffee. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm just telling you right now. If I were your pastor, I'd want you to know my favorite coffee. I'm just telling you that right now. But that's not what the verse is teaching, okay? The verse is not teaching that somehow we need to know more facts about their lives and know what their favorite this is and here's the snack they like and they're lactose intolerant, they're gluten-free and well, all that stuff, okay? No, that, that's not what it's teaching. The word know here means to acknowledge, okay? When, when the Bible says to know them which labor among us, what it means is to acknowledge. In other words, to acknowledge what God has done. To acknowledge how God is elevated. You know why? Because promotion cometh not from the north or south. Promotion doesn't come from the east or west. Promotion comes from the Lord. And so when it comes to leadership in our local churches, you might be visiting today. You might be from a, 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 a different state. We got Victoria represented. We got Tasmania represented. Okay, so we got some states here, okay? And uh, so wherever you're from, Whoever your pastor is, it's important to acknowledge, to acknowledge his leadership. To say, I accept, I accept his leadership in my life. Sometimes a, a young married couple, a bride doesn't accept the leadership of her husband. That's a bad marriage. That's a rocky start. Sometimes a teenager will not acknowledge the authority and defer to the authority of his parents. That's a rocky thing. Sometimes a citizen will not acknowledge the authority of the civil authority of his government. That could be a bad thing, okay? In a local church, it's important that we acknowledge the leaders whom God has set in place. It's important that we acknowledge that, okay? So there's a couple of things here. First of all, we need to acknowledge, I think, first of all, emerging leaders. We need to acknowledge emerging leaders in our church. So for the Apostle Paul, these, they, they were all new leaders, for the Apostle Paul, these were all guys that, that a couple months before or six months before or a year before, depending on the timing of the letter, uh, were not even saved. And now, just because there was nobody else available, they're in leadership. And so recognize those in whom God is working. That's why TNS is so important. You know why? Because at TNS, these are conferences that God uses to help us to recognize emerging leaders in our local churches. Okay, so Soren, you're going to Sri Lanka uh, on deputation now, and Lord willing, you'll be there in a year or two, serving and, and, and ministering and leading. Okay, but Southland, for you, for you, it's like, Soren, leading people? <laughs> I mean, I changed his diapers, and he was 13, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And sometimes that's, sometimes that's difficult in a church. Sometimes it's difficult in a church as people grow up to recognize the leadership that God has placed upon them. And local church, that's why it's important, especially for you mature ones, especially for the older ones that have been here for a long time, it's important for you to be in the vanguard of recognizing what God is doing among young people. So recognize emerging leaders in your church and afford them the opportunities to lead. That's important. But not only do we recognize emerging leaders, can I say this? We need to respect existing leaders. We need to respect existing leaders. And I'll just tell you this, it, it, it's, it's, it's more difficult to do that as churches grow. 
okay? As churches grow, and, and Southland, listen, you are an anomaly in Australia. You understand that? In the independent Baptist movement, this church is an anomaly because you're, you're, a, you're a large church. And, and the average church that would be of faith and practice similar to ours would be much, much smaller than you and would have a bivocational pastor, okay? But you have a church where now you have a pastor, you have a pastoral staff, you have people that you're adding. And can I just say this? I believe God's going to continue to bless this church. And I believe as you move and, and have more property and more space and whatever God does in the future, and that's up to him, I just believe it's going to continue to happen. But let me just say this. As churches grow, you've got to be careful. You've got to be really careful because the tendency as churches grow is to factionalize around one leader. So I, I, you know, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Cephas and I'm of, you've got to be careful because that's a way by which churches can be fragmented and ultimately uh, see their demise. And so what I'm saying is recognize emerging leaders and respect existing ones. Because as churches grow, there becomes a plurality of staff members. I understand there's a lead pastor. I understand there's a senior pastor. But at Faith Baptist Church, I can't be the guy that visits everybody in the hospital. I want to. But our church is too big. So we have a care pastor who's dedicated to that. And it's important that people recognize uh, those emerging leaders, recognize those existing leaders for the health and benefit of the local church. And so I'd say, number one, acknowledge your leaders. Acknowledge, accept them. That's part of it, okay? Number two, what does the Bible say? I'll just give you three thoughts this morning. Number one, acknowledge your leaders. Now look at verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. But watch this, this second uh, imperative in verse 13. And to esteem them. Okay, the word esteem means to value. So we're supposed to value the people whom God has placed in our lives. We're supposed to place value upon them. Okay? What kind of value? Well, well, watch, the, watch the superlatives that are used in verse 13. And to esteem them very highly. Wow. So it's not just to place some value on them, but it's to place high value. Okay? What do you highly value? You know, what, what, what is it in your life? Whom do you highly value? Because you're going to treat them differently. There's going to be a respect given. There's going to be an attention given. How do you demonstrate value? Okay, I'll just say as a pastor, the, the best way by which to demonstrate value to a pastor is to, to, is to show up and listen to his messages and, and respond. That's the, to me, that's the number one love language of a pastor. More than recognizing my birthday, more than, you know, hey, here's a coffee card, or more than, no, 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 no. The best way to value and esteem a pastor is to show up when he preaches, to listen intently, and to respond. That's the best way. And so esteem them very highly, but then, then the Bible gives another uh, qualifier, to esteem them very highly in love. To esteem them very highly in love. So why do we esteem pastors, leaders in local churches, why do we esteem them very highly in love? Why? Why do we? Because they have a great personality. Now, that's not what the Bible says. You know, pastors have different personalities. 
Uh, because they, well, the Bible gives us some reasons. So why should we esteem, why should we value the leaders that God places in our local church? Are they better than other people? Uh, is this some kind of a, a rock star mentality? Oh, no, 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 no. The Bible tells us why we should value those whom God places in leadership. Watch what it says in verse 13. To esteem them very highly in love, watch this, for their work's sake. Why do you value a pastor? Because he, God has given him a work that is a very challenging set of responsibilities. Can I just say this? And, and, and I'll just say this as a fellow pastor to your pastor. Unless you've pastored, some of you have, some of you have been in pastoral ministry, but I'm just saying, unless you've pastored, you don't understand the nature of the burden. And I'm not complaining. I love it. I love the calling God's placed upon my life. But I'm going to tell you something. You never turn it off. You never punch out. You're never off duty. It's always on. I'm going to just tell you something. If, if, you, if you're never encouraged in that process, if you're never esteemed in that process, it's a very difficult thing to do year after year after year after year. The burnout among pastors, I'm just telling you, is rampant. And so esteem, value, for their work's sake. What is their work? Uh, well, the Bible, uh, yeah, obviously there, there's much more to their work than, than what the Bible's describing here. But, but there are a couple clues right here in this passage about a pastor's work. Look at verse 12 again. We'll go back one verse. The Bible says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. So part of their work is the fact they just, they, just the fact that they work hard. Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hey, a pastor is a workman. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. I'm just telling you, there's labor and there's work and there's late nights and there's early mornings and there's, and there's no punch in the time clock. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of work that goes into pastoring a local church. There's nothing like it. And so esteem them because they work hard. Okay, And then the Bible says in verse 12, that know them which labor, which labor among you and are over you. They're over you in the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that they're better than you. Over does not mean better. Okay? In a marriage, the husband is over the wife, but girls, remember what we learned? It's not this, right? It's this. Okay? That doesn't mean there's not an equality. Men and women are equal. Husband and wives are equal before the Lord. Okay, but there is a hierarchical system, whether it be in government, whether it be in church, whether it be in the home, and that's why God has set things in order. We have to understand that. And so the, the idea here is that Pastor Hernan one day will stand before Jesus Christ in a much more accountable way for Southland than anybody else in the church. Now, if you want that, you're crazy. How would you like to be responsible for this group? That's why the Bible says, be not many masters. Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. In other words, this man will stand before Jesus Christ one day and answer for the corporate body of Southland Baptist Church for the tenure of time that he's here and for the words that he's spoken. And he's spoken a lot of them. 
That's a, that's a dangerous thing. And so pray for him. Understand the accountability that God has placed upon him. That's huge. So he labors. He's over you in the Lord. But then watch what it says in verse 12. He's labors. He's over you in the Lord. And then the Bible says, and he admonishes you. You know what the word admonish means? It means to warn. It's telling people the things they don't want to hear. Okay, now, be honest with me. Don't raise your hand. How many of you like to tell people things they don't want to hear? Very few people. And if you do like that, you're a weirdo. I'm just telling you that right now, okay? No, no, we don't like to do that. I want to, listen, you know, my, if, if I ever retire, I want the job where I get to be the guy that delivers the big check where people win money. Ha <laughs> ha, look at here I am, knocking on your door. You just won $14 million. It's nice to give people good news. But listen, a pastor, he's got to rightly divide the word of God. He's got to preach the whole counsel of God. And sometimes he's got to get up and say things he does not want to say. He's got to warn you of things that you can't see. He's like the side view mirror in your life to show you things, blind spots. And, he's and he faithfully tells you things. Listen, if you have a pastor that tells you things sometimes that you don't want to hear, that's a good pastor. Because I'm going to tell you something. There's a million pastors out there that will tell you what you want to hear. But that doesn't help you. By the way, you don't choose a doctor based upon that criterion. When you go to a doctor, you say, now, doc, listen, just, just so you know, when you do tests on me and when you, you do evaluations and when you check things and do CAT scans and MRIs, uh, I don't care what you find, just tell me the things I want to hear, okay? So if you see cancer, don't tell me. Just tell me I have good teeth, okay? That's ridiculous. And yet people choose churches on that criteria. So just pray for your pastor. Why? Because he works hard. Why? Because he answers to God for you. Because he tells you things that you don't want to hear, and he doesn't want to tell you those things. But he will because he loves God, and he loves the word of God, and he's faithful to God. And so acknowledge, esteem. What's the third one? And we're done. What's the third one? We acknowledge our leaders. We esteem them. But what's the third one? Well, it's kind of, a, it's kind of almost a... a you almost miss it if you're not careful. Look, look at verse 13. So verse 12, uh, know them. Verse 13, esteem them. But then there's a third imperative. And the third imperative is something we do for our leaders, but we don't do to our leaders. It's something we do for our leaders, but not something we do to our leaders. But watch what it says in verse 13. And be at peace among yourselves. Isn't that something? And be, in other words, how can you help your pastor? Acknowledge his leadership, pray for him, esteem him, value him, right? And then get along with each other. Hey, every parent knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? What's one of the greatest things your kids can do for you? Get along with each other. Now quit bickering, quit arguing, get along. I'm just telling you, as a parent that has four adult children, nothing thrills me anymore than my children loving each other. I would rather sit at a table when all our families together and listen to my kids love and tease and, and interact with each other than I would have them interact with me. And let me just tell you, a godly pastor loves to sit back and watch people love each other. 
He's not so much concerned about you showering love upon him as he is about you loving each other. I was talking to a pastor earlier this morning, and I, I hope I'm not stepping out of bounds by saying this. But he says, you know, pastor, I here's what I love. I love before church, when church is just about to start, he goes, I love to hear the chatter. I love to just kind of be ready to start church, but to just see people loving and hugging and serving and shaking hands and just, I love that. One of the best things you can do for your leadership is learn how to get along with each other. Share some of the load. Yeah, how do you do that? What are some practical things that you can do to be at peace among yourselves? Well, the Bible gives us four. Okay, can I just mention them? The Bible gives us four. I don't know why pastors do that. Can I just do this? I'm going to do it, okay? I'm not asking permission. It's just a, I'm feigning niceness, okay? Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 14. So how can we be at peace among ourselves? Look at verse 14. Now, we exhort you, brethren. Do you see that in verse 14? Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Okay, well, what's one of your pastor's jobs? One of your pastor's jobs is, is to warn the unruly. One of your pastor's jobs is to get the, is to comfort the afflicted, right? And to afflict the comforted. That, that's one of his jobs. Why? Because it's easy in local church ministry to grow sedentary. Just to kind of come and sit and do and be and not really, you know, be actively involved. And so one of the jobs of a, of a pastor is to warn, uh, to challenge, to admonish the unruly. Now, unruly here doesn't mean you know, people that, that, that don't comb their hair, okay? Unruly here means those that refuse to work. Okay, the Apostle Paul dealt with this specifically in chapter 4, and he dealt with it specifically, as a matter of fact, even more, even more specifically in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He called it disorderly, okay? Uh, people that, that, that come to church and expect other people to carry the load. That's never a good relationship, okay? Sometimes in a marriage one of the married partners carries the spiritual load. You know, one, only one. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a strained marriage. Sometimes at the workplace, you'll have 20% you know, of the people doing 80% of the work. Hey, that's, not a, that's not a productive environment. Okay? In a local church, it's important that every single person use his gifts and his abilities and his energy and uh, his time and his treasure and his talent to serve God. What could happen at Southland Baptist Church if everybody decided he's going to give his all for Jesus Christ? And so pastor gets up and says, come on, let's be all in. Man, we need to all be soul winners. and We need to all be right with God. Let's all be here tonight for Bible study. Let's... And you say, well, of course, he's the pastor. He's supposed to say that. Let me tell you where you can really help. You can help if you start help warning people. Say, hey, listen, you need to be there. Where were you? Let me pick you up. Come, on, come with me. See, a healthy church is a church that doesn't have one person saying, hey, come on. A healthy church is a church that has 200 people saying, hey, come on, come on, come on. Peer-to-peer -peer accountability is the most effective way to rebuke people in any organization. I read a book by a, a, a business leader called Patrick Lencioni, and he wrote a book called The Advantage. In that book, he talked, talked about why organizational health is the most important part of any company. And here's what he said. He said, peer-to-peer -peer accountability is key. And I'll just say at South Map Church, peer-to-peer -peer accountability is key. I'm talking about teenagers. 
that, that need to say to other teenagers, come on, no, we're not, we're not going to talk about that. Like, no, come on, we're going to sit up here. We're not going to slouch back in the back. We're going to, I mean, peer-to-peer accountability. Warn the unruly. Okay, watch this, number two. We're living at peace among ourselves. We're being a blessing to our pastor by taking on some of this responsibility. Look at verse uh, uh, 14. Uh, we exhort you, brethren, and warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded. I've heard people kind of make fun of this verse, you know, be good to people, you know, those blonde-haired people in the church, you know. Uh, but uh, no, 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 this is, this, this, this is a legitimate command of Scripture. Okay, the word comfort, we learn, means what? Encourage. Okay, feeble-minded doesn't mean somebody that's not intelligent. Okay, feeble-minded doesn't mean somebody that, that, that's slow. Okay, feeble-minded literally means weak-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D, weak-souled. So to comfort the feeble-minded means to encourage people that give up quickly. Do you know that some people constitutionally are, 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 are more stick to than others? That's not even a salvation thing. That's just a thing. You know, look out in the playground. Some kids, they just don't want to give up. They're going to get back up, and it's just part of who they are. Some people quit easily. They get discouraged easily. They're weak soul. So what do you do? Well, I just let them go. Bless God. If they can't, you know, if they can't get up and dust themselves off, I can't, I'm not going to babysit them. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we need to identify people whose constitution is to give up easily and encourage them. Some people need more encouragement than others, but let me tell you something. If the pastor is the one that has to identify Every person that needs more encouragement, you're not going to have him long. He's not going to be able to sustain that. No, as a local church, we are the ones that know the, hey, we need to be encouraging. We need to be looking for those that give up easily or readily. We need to come alongside. We need to be that person, that Barnabas, that son of consolation in their life. That's a great way by which for you to help your pastor is to comfort comfort the feeble-minded. All right, number three, not only do we warn the unruly and then comfort the feeble-minded, but watch what this says. And, and I, I, I really wish I could have a week with you and teach the entire week on, this, on these three words. I really do. I really wish I could have a whole week with you and teach just on these three words. I'm just going to mention them and move on. Watch what it says in verse 14. Support the weak. You say, well, that's pretty easy, Pastor Skelly. No, that's a mouthful, okay? In other words, we need to learn to identify and undergird the people that are weak. Now, I think you'd be surprised if you were to study your New Testament to see whom the Bible calls weak, okay? Because we view weak people as physically weak. And I, I'm, certainly we ought to support the physically weak. But I think churches do a good job at that because it's obvious. It's right out there. It's in your face. But you know, the, when the Bible talks about weak, when Paul talks about weak believers, you know who he's talking about? You read it, Romans 15. You read it in Romans 14. You know who Paul's talking about when he's talking about weak people? He's talking about people that bring into Christianity their religious baggage. So in the case of the Romans, it was people that came into Christianity that had these really high standards. Like, I don't eat meat. 
because that meat could have been offered to an idol, and, and therefore I am going to be this ultra-separatist, and I won't even... And Paul's like, there's nothing wrong with eating meat, okay? But sometimes we have to not engage in that activity because it might uh, cause this person to offend for, for a time, but what we need to do is lovingly come alongside, take the Word of God, and teach them what the Word of God says on this issue. That's hard work. It's hard work to take people that think that they're more holy than you, that think that they're a higher Christian than you, because look at what I don't do, and to lovingly and methodically take the Word of God and show them, no, 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 let's talk about it. Now, here's what the Bible says. Have you ever noticed, and this